What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me here for this Thursday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a Sports Ethos presentation, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can hit me up over on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. Make sure you go follow Ethos Fantasy BB. That's where all of our new content drops from, whether it be podcasts, articles, or different notes or polls that go right out on Twitter. It's all there in your feed if you go hit the follow button at Ethos Fantasy BB. Now, today we are going to conclude our relief pitcher review and also look forward. I guess it's almost been more of a look forward recently, the way I've been doing it. Uh, we're touching back on last season, what happened statistically and why, whether it be because of you know a player just happened to have a closer role or if they actually excelled in a particular area. We've talked about that, but we've also been focusing quite a bit on their outlook for 2023 as well. We're going to talk about three bullpens today, which will wrap it up. And of course, this isn't the end of our discussions. Even when we did our you know all of our positional reviews, really, we talked about a ton of players. You can't get to every single player. That's just the nature of what we're doing here. There's too many players to go over especially when you're talking about every single position, you could go down you know, 50, 70, 100 names, depending on the position. So we covered a lot of them. And the ones that we didn't, for the most part, we're going to cover when we start breaking down every single team, which we're going to start doing in the next couple of weeks. Now, I mentioned this yesterday, I think. You know, I thought that I was so unique. I was, it's such a cool idea. I'm going to bring on one person roughly from every fan base. You know, We're going to bring on Sarah Sanchez to talk about the Cubs. We're going to bring on... You know, Alex Fast to talk about the Orioles and stuff. I thought, you know, no one's going to be doing this kind of thing. It's going to be kind of cool. And lo and behold, everybody is doing it. It's something that apparently is fairly commonplace in this industry, of course, this being my first year making content. I didn't really know that. But regardless, we're still going to start bringing people on for these team breakdowns. And if there are certain players that we didn't get to in the positional reviews, it's very likely that we'll get to them when we break down every individual team. So if your favorite reliever or first baseman down the board didn't get talked about throughout this offseason, uh, fear not, it's very likely that they will at some point. So today we're going to be talking about Tampa Bay, we're going to be talking about the Los Angeles Dodgers, and we're going to be talking about the Oakland Athletics in terms of their closer relief pitcher situations. Let's start out in Oakland with probably the least interesting of them all, and we'll work our way up here. We're not really sure what's going to happen in terms of Oakland's closer situation. According to Roster Resource, Trevor May is slotted into that spot right now. You also have guys like Zach Jackson, A.J. Puck, Danny Jimenez who have gotten saves, and Domingo Acevedo as well, a bunch of guys who got them some saves last season. Now, I think Jimenez is a dark horse potential candidate to get some saves here. He was pretty okay when he was given the role this past season, the 341 ERA. Uh, He was striking out a batter per inning. His walks were a little bit high, but when you're looking at most of the relievers here in the Oakland bullpen, there was no one who really had great walk numbers. Uh, It's not really something that they excelled at last year. Now, Trevor May, I think, is likely to get the first crack here at being the closer, but I think there's a decent chance we see a few different guys end up getting shots uh, to close like we saw last season, and it probably ends up being a situation where there's not going to be a ton of value to be had in any of them. There might be stretches where you know we have uh, some kind of announcement from the team or somebody goes down and it makes it very apparent that so-and-so is going to be closing or whatever. But as of right now, uh, I'm not really too confident in projecting any of these guys for more than maybe like 10 saves at the very most, if you're thinking about it. If you're going, first of all, if you look at roster resource, they have them listed in the order that I mentioned. May, Jackson, Puck, Jimenez, and Acevedo. If you go by ADP, uh, Acevedo is going as the first pitcher off the board. They're followed by Puck, 
and then followed by Jimenez, and then followed by Jackson. And then May is actually the lowest if you go by all drafts. Now, let me go and move it up to just December drafts and see how much that changes things. So AJ Puck hops over Acevedo a little bit. Trevor May is then afterwards Jimenez and then Jack, Zach Jackson uh, bringing up the rear there. It's really tough to say. None of these guys are going to excel throughout the season. I don't think it's an ideal situation if you're in a draft champions and you have to kind of, you know, throw some essentially blind shots at one of these guys and say, okay, I'm going to just take a chance here. I'll take Jimenez in the later 500s, hoping to get some saves out of him or any of these guys, really. Uh, it's not a great situation. I think it's a lot easier to look at this through a 12-team lens, especially like we like to focus on here, your Yahoo and ESPN, whatever leagues. These guys are not going to be drafted. They are going to be guys who end up, you know, one of them may pull away for a while and become the closer. And it's likely that it, it probably would be Trevor May, but we just don't know. And in those situations where you're talking 12-team league with waivers, you wait until somebody has a more secure job and then you pick them up as opposed to trying to speculate before the season how many saves Danny Jimenez is going to get. Because, you know, it might be 11 again like last year, and if you're getting 11 saves out of somebody that you're drafting, you know, pick 575, I think you'd be fairly happy about that. But at the same time, it could really be any of these guys. Another guy in that rotation, or in that pen, Sam Mole, like maybe he gets a couple chances. Mole, Mole, I'm not really sure how it's pronounced. But there's just not really a lot of certainty in terms of their closer situation. You know, we saw Lou Trevino these last couple of seasons uh, get some saves there before he was traded to the Yankees. He was the guy that they kind of fell back on, and there's been a couple other names throughout the years uh, recently. But there's not really been anybody that we can count on for saves. Uh, as of right now, and even looking back to last year, there wasn't really one guy that you could lock down. Jimenez had some value for a while. I think Trevino did as well. But as a whole, you're not looking at this with any kind of confidence going into your drafts. Now, Trevor May is probably the one I would take the chance on if you're in a D.C. or wherever you are. His price is still fairly cheap at 447 Somebody took him with a min pick of 252 which seems a little bit too... What's, I can't think of the right word here. Uh, you're expecting a little bit too much. Uh, I don't think that we can really look at 252 for Trevor May and say that there's any possibility for a great return on investment there when it comes to him and what he's going to give you. Like, he's had good seasons in the past, Trevor May, but you also have to look at the fact that he's never really been a closer. He's got some saves spread out here and there over the past several years. I mean, every year going back to 2018, there's at least one where you're talking one, four, two, two, three. Not really the shiniest numbers. His ERA for the career is 435. His FIP is quite a bit lower at 368, and he's always given you pretty solid strikeout numbers, averaging about 28% for the career doesn't scream closer at you. So I don't know that we're going to be drafting him, especially if you're taking him in the top 250 picks. And you say, okay, this is my closer now. I have one of my closers for the season. There's a chance he gets zero saves. A very legitimate chance that he would get zero saves. Now I expect him to probably get you know, 10 or 12 or something like that. But if we look back at the end of the year and Trevor May hadn't given you really much of anything, uh, would you really be that surprised for any of these guys in this bullpen, really? That's why, for the most part, I think you have to stay away from it <clears throat> if you're in a D.C. You're going to end up taking maybe one of them, not everybody. But, I mean, all these guys are being drafted in every draft because there is somebody saying in every draft, okay, there's a chance that this guy will become the closer later on down the season, and it makes it very, very difficult for fantasy purposes. So, you know, if you want to speculate on one of these guys, a Jimenez or a Jackson close to pick 600, it's probably not going to hurt you very much, but there is a decent chance that it just ends up being dead weight on your roster. Trevor May at 447. 
maybe, you know, AJ Puck and Domingo Acevedo just outside of the top 400 picks. There's not really much downside there, but there's also you know, a chance that they get you no saves and just go out and pretty much did what they did last year, which wasn't bad by any stretch. But, you know, if you're getting two or three saves, you know, all right ratios, mediocre strikeout numbers. I mean, you're getting decent strikeout numbers from Zach Jackson, at least, but he's going way down the board. You're talking Puck and Acevedo. Uh, it's just kind of mediocre. Uh, it's nothing really that great. Puck better than Acevedo. But still, I, I don't know that it's really going to be justifiable to take them in this kind of range. People are doing it. People are taking them even earlier. But for me, it's not a situation where I'm really trying to target. And that's going to be kind of a theme today amongst all three of these bullpens we're going to talk about. Not really something that I'm trying to get myself into. It might get backdoored into that where I have to end up taking one or two of the guys we're going to mention today in certain leagues. But I'm going to try and be going for some of those stud closers. And when I say stud closers, I don't necessarily mean Hayter and Diaz and Colossae and Romano and Hendricks. Those guys are nice, maybe one or two of those guys, but just guys that you in general have a little bit more faith in. Those guys going in the top 75, 100 picks, Rizal Iglesias, you know, even Felix Batista, who I'm a little bit skeptical of, but still, uh, you're, you're a lot more certain taking one of those guys than you would be taking any of the guys for Oakland. So we'll move on here. Uh, I think that there's potential for some value but we just don't know where it's going to come from and at that point I'm really not going to be so interested unless I I really end up having to take one of these guys because I just you know failed earlier in my draft and let closers fall too far and then I'm forced to speculate but we're trying to avoid that we're trying to get guys who we know are more of a sure thing but today like I said not many sure things we're going to talk about let's move on and talk about the Tampa Bay Rays they are the farthest thing in the world from a sure thing in terms of their closer situation. Hoping that Andrew Kitteridge would get some saves this year. He went out with Tommy John surgery. Now, he got injured in July, I think, and I, I don't expect him to be back this coming season. I honestly can't remember now. Tommy John is typically 12 months, I think, 12 or so months to come back roughly, maybe, a, maybe even 18. I think it's really kind of case by case, but... Andrew Kitteridge is not somebody that I would be expecting. I'm going to just take a look and see if anybody's been drafting Andrew Kitteridge this year. Makes me kind of curious. I, I doubt it, but let's just see. Maybe at the end of some drafts or something like that. No, it doesn't look like he's been drafted anywhere. I don't think anybody's really expecting him to come back. And maybe I'm just crazy with my timeline. In the, top, in the back of my head, I was thinking maybe there'd be a chance at the end of the season. But, uh, yeah, I guess in the D.C. You can't really take the chance on him. Uh, Colin Poche, he's somebody who is, I believe – not injured right now, or was he injured? No, I don't think he is injured. He got some saves last season. Uh, Jason Adam, Pete Fairbanks also got some saves for them last season. Tampa tends to do this. Every now and then, they will find somebody that they like to save for a while, like Kitteridge, uh, like we saw with Diego Castillo last season or the year before. Now, No, I think it was, it was 2021 when Diego Castillo had some saves, and then he was traded. They like to do this. This is something that's become fairly commonplace for them over the last couple of years. They pitch to certain situations and matchups as opposed to just naming somebody the closer. That's generally what they do. And it makes it very, very frustrating for fantasy purposes, of course, like it does with Oakland. So Pete Fairbanks is somebody that we talked about with Greg Jewett a couple weeks ago. He was somebody that he was taught very, very high on. He was actually one of the three names that he let slip that he was you know, targeting later in drafts for saves. I like Pete Fairbanks as well. I think there's a chance that he does get a majority of the saves. And, of course, Greg knows quite a bit more than me and most people when it comes to closers and closer analysis. 
But the Rays are just very unpredictable with the way that they handle their team. We don't know if it's going to be Fairbanks. We don't know if they're going to give Jason Adams some shots, if they're going to give Poche some shots, perhaps, or if they're going to maybe, you know, give some random other dudes a shot because they've been known to do that as well. Random players that come out of nowhere and have prominence within the Rays pitching staff lineup or bullpen. Uh, it wouldn't shock me. It wouldn't shock you guys because it's just been what they've done over these last few seasons. Now, Fairbanks and Jason Adam are currently listed as co-closers, and I think that that does make sense. <clears throat> I think that's likely to be the way they started off. But we don't know what they're going to do at all after the first week of the season or even the first day of the season. Uh, like I, You could toss a coin to say, let's say they get a save opportunity on game one. Is it going to Fairbanks? Is it going to Jason Adam? I'd have no idea how to project that, how to predict that. So it does make it very complicated for fantasy. The one thing I can say is that Jason Adam at least is a lot cheaper than Pete Fairbanks. Uh, Pete Fairbanks to pick 205. Now, like I said, this was a big pick for Greg Jewett. He was pointing him out as somebody that is a later target for saves. But, you know, Jason Adam, I think, is fairly close in terms of, at least in terms of their abilities. What we saw this past season, they were both excellent. Uh, Adam actually did it over a larger sample size, 63 innings compared to 24 innings, a 156 ERA compared to 113. They're both excellent. Now, I wouldn't be surprised, though, if Adam does get some saves and he's going 130 picks cheaper here. Now, he gave you incredible numbers last season, Jason Adam, which has not been what he had done in the past. I'd honestly forgotten, just looking here at Fangraphs, that he pitched for the Blue Jays uh, a little bit in 2019. He threw 21 innings for us. He'd never been good, really. I mean, he was pretty okay in Toronto there, but the career ERA uh, coming into this year, actually, I don't have that, but looking at what he had done year by year, 6'12", 291, 329, 591, he had bounced around a little bit, and especially that, you know, the small sample size is sure, but... That last bit of games, that last few games he played in Chicago last year, 12 games, he allowed seven earned runs, he walked six batters. It wasn't looking good for him. He comes to Tampa, they do what they are known to do. They tinker with a few things. And let me just actually take a look at the pitch mix and see how much it changed up this year. Yeah, it was drastically different, and that's just what Tampa does. So his fastball had been 53-54 to about 61% in his career to this point. And granted, like I said, we're talking a very small sample size with Jason Adam. We're talking about 60-70 innings before this year and 63 innings this season. So 141 total innings spread out over five years. It's not a massive sample size. But in those previous years, he's thrown the fastball you know, 55 60% of the time. This year, he threw it 32% of the time. Previous years, the slider, he started throwing it in 2020, and then in 2021 as well, he threw it 20% roughly each year. This past year, it was 35.8%. His curveball had been something that he had been trending away from over these last couple of seasons, 31%, 27 12 11 This year, he didn't throw the curveball. Change up. He was going upwards in terms of his usage for the most part, 8% to 11 to 15, down to 10 last year, and then up to 32% with his changeup in terms of how much he used it. All of his pitches were positive pitches in terms of their value as well, where you look at last year, everything pretty much was a negative. Fastball, negative 1.5 in terms of value. Curveball, negative 0.5. Changeup, negative 0.9. This year, the fastball had plus 4.2 in terms of value on fan graphs, the pitch value section. The slider, 10.0 in terms of the value, and the changeup, 6.8. These pitches, like the changeup is something that had been a negative pitch for him pretty much every single year, and he turns it around into a huge positive. Weird things that the Rays do, but they, they figure shit out, man. Like They know how to tinker with a guy and make him 
elite. And Jason Adam, maybe he doesn't stay this good, 156 ERA kind of good. But I think there is still some value to be had in him, even though the situation is kind of muddy out there in Tampa. And I did just say this, like a similar thing in terms of Oakland, that you don't want to be taking players, especially if you don't know their their long-term outlook. For the most part, we don't know if it's going to be Adam, if it's going to be Fairbanks, if it's going to be somebody else. But the skills there, the underlying skills, are a lot better than what we saw from those guys in Oakland. And I also trust Tampa Bay as an organization implicitly. So you have to look at a few different factors other than just the fact of there are a lot of different options there. There are. There's fewer options actually in Tampa, I think, than there are in Oakland. Oakland has about five guys that could realistically get saves for them this year. I think it's Fairbanks and Adam, and then maybe you see Jalen Beeks get one or two. Then after that, I don't think any of the other guys currently in the bullpen are going to get too many. Maybe you see Poche. I think it's Poche is the way it's pronounced. Maybe he gets a couple. He had seven for them last year after having two uh, in 2019 for them. Maybe he gets some, but I think for the most part, you're looking at Fairbanks and Jason Adams. So it's not ideal. The situation is definitely not ideal. When you draft somebody, especially a closer, the way that we focus on saves, you want to be sure that you are getting those saves. And you're not going to have that certainty with either of these guys. You know you're going to get some, but the actual amount is very much an unknown from both of them. Fairbanks, again, another guy who has been – not so great in his career, and then this past season was just absolutely ridiculous. He had a one one three ERA. His FIP was .86. He was striking out batters left, right, and center, 43, almost 44%, and he was walking below 4% of batters. <clears throat> now, the thing we have to look at here is that it happened over 24 innings, and we maybe shouldn't you know, throw too much into those 24 innings. But at the same time, he was incredible. His pitch mix was pretty much the same as what it had been in years past. I mean, he's been trending upwards with the fastball for several years now, so that one wasn't something that was really brand new. Uh, it was mostly the same. His slider turned from a negative 3.5 pitch to a positive 3.5 pitch. Tampa works some some sorcery. He threw it the same, <clears throat> roughly the same amount, 42% to 38%. Threw it at the same speed, 85 miles an hour, roughly, in both seasons. And yet it became that much better of a pitch for him. Tampa does some some sorcery, man. I, I don't know how to quantify it. He was really good, and he was a lot better than we'd ever seen him. But at the same time, it was a very small sample size, and I'm maybe a little bit skeptical about paying up for him. You don't have to pay up like crazy. Pick 205 is not a, you know, a crazy high price, especially if the guy does get some saves. But I think overall, between the two of them, I might be more inclined to take Jason Adam because he's 130 picks later, and you might end up getting the same or better numbers out of him. Like I wouldn't be surprised if Jason Adam outperforms Pete Fairbanks this season. I wouldn't be surprised if Pete Fairbanks outperforms Adam, but we just don't know. And that's, like I said, kind of the theme today of the unknown with these with these bullpens. It might end up being, you know, an even split between some guys on Oakland, and we see you know two guys end up settling in and each getting 15 or 17 saves. Who knows? With Tampa, it might be Fairbanks gets 20 saves, Adam gets 10. Maybe Fairbanks gets 25 and Adams gets 5 or 7. Maybe it's the reverse. Like, we just have no idea what's going to happen here at this point. So I think overall, like like I've mentioned many times here, and it's a cliche that happens every year in fantasy baseball, but you take your closers early. You look at the closers that were drafted early last year and how they performed for the most part, you were pretty okay with getting those early round studs. Even your Josh haters who ended up killing your ratio still gave you, I forget how many saves it was, 30 some odd, 30 some odd saves from Josh Hader. Like those saves num- so those save numbers 
don't really come later on in the draft with as much certainty as you're going to get early on. So as, as weird as it might feel sometimes to pay up a third or a fourth or a fifth round pick for a closer, it's really something I would recommend doing here. Let's talk about one more team now before I let you guys go for today. It's going to be the Los Angeles Dodgers, and I mentioned it earlier. The Los Angeles Dodgers, I have not really been a fan of their offseason. I think it's been rather strange the way they have gone about things. They've, they've gotten worse, and that's not been something that they have done over these last several seasons. You know, Trey Turner's gone. Cody Bellinger's gone. They brought in J.D. Martinez. That's really not going to do much for me. That's like I'm trying to look through their other acquisitions here. I think that was the only real – oh, I'm sorry. They brought in Bradley Zimmer as well. No, but in all seriousness, oh, yeah, Noah Syndergaard, I guess. But, you know, we were talking very small transactions that wouldn't be out of place for – a small market team here, you know, bringing in Noah Syndergaard and signing J.D. Martinez. Like, it's not something you would equate with the Dodgers and the way that they have gone about playing baseball these last several seasons. Now, I don't really know what to make of their bullpen. We saw Daniel Hudson and Evan Phillips last year both give you great seasons. Daniel uh, Daniel Hudson did it over a very short sample size. While he was out there in his 24 innings, he gave you a 2-2-2 ERA. He was walking batters at a career-low 5.2% pace. He was special. He was really good. He was somebody that was a great pickup while you could. You got some value out of him if you did have him. But then you had to drop him, and Evan Phillips became the guy that they were kind of going to a little bit more. Still not really save-wise. It was Kimbrell getting saves for them. Uh, I believe it was Kimbrell getting most of the saves for them. But now they're stuck with these two guys. And, you know, maybe maybe it turns out well. Maybe they can just go between uh, between Jesus, I'm blanked. I blanked on the name there for a second. Between Phillips and Daniel Hudson, and it will be all right for them in terms of their saves. Maybe they can, you know, and not even just in terms of their saves, in terms of you know, the back end of their bullpen, how it's going to work out for them. Maybe that that two, the combo of those two guys will be fine. But it just feels very strange to see the Dodgers getting like, you know, substantially worse in the course of an offseason, losing pieces like like a Craig Kimbrell. And I just, I can't really see them doing that much in terms of, first of all, the whole season, really. I don't see the Dodgers as being the team that we still think of them as from the last couple of seasons. Like, they just came off an incredible year. But I don't know that we can expect the same things from them and part of that, for me, part of that uncertainty does come from the bullpen. I would have liked to see them add in one of those big arms, you know, bring back Kenley Jansen or something. I, I don't even know that there was that much of a market out there, but make some kind of trade, do something. There was talk about Liam Hendricks being available, you know. That would have been perfect for them. Certain players that, uh, you know, they could have added through trade or free agency that would have bolstered this bullpen, and now they're stuck with Daniel Hudson, who's – for the career, not been a very good pitcher. Like he's been pretty okay, but you know, never really a closer. There's been times here and there. He got ten saves in 2020. He got eight in 2019. Uh, he's just never really been somebody that you can rely on that much. He had a good part of a season last year, 24 innings, but can he carry that over? I'd be very skeptical, thinking that he can carry it over more so than you know he had a nice little run there. His price for next season is 369. Evan Phillips's price is 295. I don't love either of them. I really don't. Like I think I would go for Phillips over Daniel Hudson, but even then, like we're looking at a sample size of 63 innings, which because of his his young age, although he's not actually that young, 28, he just came up kind of older. 
that's the majority of the sample size that we've seen from him. Half of his innings that he's pitched in the big leagues came last year, and he was incredible. A 114 ERA, a 194 FIP, you know, a 218 XERA. He was striking out 33% of batters, only walking 6.4% of batters. He was great for them. But I think the Dodgers have put their eggs into a basket that's probably not, you know, the most secure basket. It might be fine. But I'm not really expecting it to be. In terms of the save outlook for these guys for next year, maybe they get a couple each. Maybe they get maybe one of them settles into the role. Like right now, Daniel Hudson is the guy that Roster Resource has slotted in there. Maybe we see Bruce Star Gratterall get some chances. You know, it's it's really a weird situation for them to not have. I mean, I'm just, I guess I'm just so used to them having Kenley Jansen every year and not having to really worry about where the saves are going to come from. But I'm worried right now about where the saves are going to come from. If it's going to be a Hudson-Phillips tandem, if they're going to just you know play around to matchups, if they're going to use Alex, I think it's Vezia, Vizia. I'm, I'm not good with relief pitchers' names, guys. Uh, Alex Vezia, I believe is how it's pronounced. Maybe he gets some chances if it's a lefty, predominantly lefty, you know, bottom of the ninth coming up. Uh, it's really hard to say. And when you're planning your drafts out, all three of the teams we talked about today you can't have that much confidence other than, you know, hoping for the best. With Pete Fairbanks, you hope for the best. All of them. All of them you hope for the best. But as of right now, I can't look at these with any degree degree of confidence and say, yes, you have to take Evan Phillips here. He's a great value. He's going to be the closer. Maybe he is. Maybe he's not. Maybe he comes back to earth. Maybe both of these guys come back to earth and the Dodgers end up shit out of luck. There are such a wide range of outcomes with the Dodgers, with all three of these teams, really, less so with the Rays, but really all of them, where we don't know who to draft, where to draft them, and what kind of value we're going to get out of them. So I would, again, reiterate to go for a closer early, at least one stud closer early, and then maybe you get yourself like a LeClerc or a Bednar or somebody in that range around pick, roughly pick 100, and then you go for a third one a little bit later on. I'm also... You know, I would be inclined to go stud closers back to back at some point if you can, uh, depending on on how you want to do this, what your risk is associated with closers and how good you are at identifying them off the waiver wire, what format you play in. There's so many different factors, but I think waiting on closers in general is a risky strategy where I wouldn't really recommend doing it. Go for at least one top 75 closer and then try and get another one before pick 150. At that point, you're doing pretty well for yourself. You know, you can get Andres Munoz at like just after 150, depending on your draft, sometimes a little bit later. There are options, but they thin out once you get like to pick 200 or so. So I would I would really recommend going for early closers and trying to get that headache away. Go for all the positions that are a little bit more scarce early on. Go for a closer, go for a catcher, go for a third baseman, go for a second baseman, all within the first 10 rounds if you can. At the latest, at the absolute latest within the first 10 rounds. Somebody that you are sure is going to be a stud, <clears throat> that's going to be in your lineup the whole year. Because, you know, you take a stud first baseman, that's great, but there's also going to be stud first baseman on the waiver wire in a lot of leagues. With second, with third, with catcher, with closers, there's also a, there's a decent chance that that's not going to be the case. So just food for thought, guys, as we wrap up our position review shows, which feels crazy. We've been going on for quite a while now with them. Uh, <clears throat> I appreciate you guys sticking through with my coughs because I have been a little bit sick for the last little while. It only comes up here and there, uh, but my clearing of the throat, I understand, is kind of annoying. So I, uh, I appreciate you guys bearing with me through that. 
Yeah, it's hard to believe that we're done the position review shows because now, well, we're going to really start getting into next season's kind of content. We are going to be doing some kind of draft guide here at Sports Ethos. And my talks yesterday with a couple of the members of the brass, we are going to be putting out some kind of draft guide that will be, I'm not really sure when, so I don't want to put a date on it. But of course, before draft season really gets kicked off, that's when we're going to be doing it. Uh, still figuring out what's going to be in it. But yeah, we're going to be really looking forward to next season in terms of our content. We're going to start doing mock drafts. We're going to bring people on. Hopefully, we're going to do those live over on our YouTube, which is another place where you guys can go check out and subscribe. You get tons of live videos every single week. I do a basketball podcast on uh, Monday, 5 p.m. Eastern with Steve Vidovich on there. There's a ton of content outside of what I do. Uh, there's just a, a ton of stuff on our YouTube, both live stuff and some videos that go out after the fact. So please do make sure you check that out. Check us out over on Twitter, at EthosFantasyBB. At JoeOrico99 is my personal account, but I prefer you guys go and click the follow on EthosFantasyBB if you can. And of course... If you are listening on a platform that can allow ratings and reviews, leave a five-star on your way out the door. Uh, we'd really appreciate that. Guys, we'll see you tomorrow. We will be talking the first part of my catcher ranks. I hope you guys see us tomorrow. Until then, cheers. Cheers.